As you settle in, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever missed the point? Have you ever missed the point? I want to share a few pics with you of, of some who have. Check out this first pic here. I don't know if you can see that, but uh, if you highlight everything, you highlight what? Nothing, right? Yeah. How about the, how about the next slide here? I would uh, probably call this 12-hour protection, right? If you take it two times a day. Uh, yeah? What about this next one here? Yeah, we, you see this a lot in Canton, don't you? But uh, I, I don't know if this qualifies as walking the dog in the park, if they're strapped to your back. All right, next. Uh, yeah, wireless HDMI cable. Uh, that's just wireless is probably the name of the brand, but... Yeah, it's kind of funny, isn't it? And uh, one last one here. How about a veggie burger? Add bacon to the veggie burger. That would probably make it taste better, right? <laughs> but these individuals have certainly missed the point. You know who else often missed the point? The religious leaders in Jesus' day. And we are going to talk about that Today, if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 6. We are back in Luke after a long break from the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be in the first part of Luke 6, looking at verses 1 through 11 today as we continue our study through Luke's Gospel. And in our passage for today, we are examining one of the many encounters that Jesus has with the religious leaders, the Pharisees, on the issue of the Sabbath. Over and over again in the Gospel accounts, we read of Jesus and his disciples being criticized in their observance of the Sabbath day. Now, before we dive into this text of Scripture, we need to know a bit more about this practice and what it had become in Jesus's day. That'll really help us today. The command to keep the Sabbath is number four on the Big Ten. Number four of the Ten Commandments. It was given after God delivered his people from Egyptian bondage. You remember the story, right? He delivered them from the uh, Egyptians, from Egyptian bondage, from slavery. He delivered them out with great signs and wonders and also with great acts of judgment against the Egyptians. And God, his people, they, they followed him for a time. And God, as they're following him, he gives them commands for them to live by as a nation with him as their head. And one of these commands is for them to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, notice the word remember. That word tells us something right there. It tells us there was something already in God's people's history that they were supposed to recall. That, that word remember tells us that the Israelites were already aware of what this Sabbath was. In Exodus 16, just four chapters back from the giving of the Ten Commandments, God is explaining to Moses how he is going to provide food for his people. He basically tells them, as you are wandering through the wilderness, I'm going to provide food for you, and here's how I'm going to do it. 
Every day when you wake up, there is going to be manna, bread from heaven on the ground. And every day I want you to go out and I want you to collect enough manna for the day to prepare and eat. But he says, don't collect more than a day's worth and just enough in proportion to the size of your household. So he, he basically tells them they're to go out every day and collect just for that day. So day after day, they go out and collect. God miraculously provides manna for them. But on the sixth day, which would have been a Friday, God initiated something unique on that day. He told the Israelites that on the sixth day, they were to go out and gather twice as much as was needed. They were to go and collect two days worth of manna and the reason why is because on the seventh day on a saturday god wanted his people to have that day to relax and rest and enjoy him and the blessings that he had provided for them it was a day of rest which would have been a wonderful blessing for a nation of slaves who had no rest while they were in egypt it was meant to be a day of worship. It was set apart for them. And it set them apart from the nations surrounding them. The nations surrounding them didn't take a day off. When their neighbors saw them pausing on the last day of every week to worship God, it, it would have really set them apart as a nation and they did that to remember that while they were going out day after day and working and earning a living, it is God who is the one providing. And that is the way they were to keep it. They were to remember that day when they entered into the land of promise and they were to keep it holy, which means to be set apart other than, right? Different from the other days. It was to be a day of rest and worship, a day when God's people recognized and worshiped God for his many provisions. It was a day for them to rest and enjoy. God says to his people, I want you to Sabbath. And that word Sabbath is taken from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which means to cease. He says, after six days of labor, I want you to Shabbat. I want you to cease. I want you to break from your work. And again, get this. This is very important for y'all to understand. It was meant to be a blessing and not a burden. It was meant to be a blessing and not a burden. Well, Israel didn't do a good job of keeping the Sabbath. They didn't do a good job of resting and certainly did not do a good job of worshiping the Lord God. They went after other gods in the promised land, followed the example of the pagan nations they did not drive out. And the, the prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah and, and Ezekiel and others spoke against them and they spoke again and again on God's people's failure to keep the Sabbath God had given to them. They spoke repeatedly of God's people's failure to worship God in a way that's worthy of Him and enjoy Him and rest in Him. Instead, they set themselves against Him in their sin. They went after other gods, turned away from Him, so God eventually sent them into captivity. The northern kingdom fell first. They had a division of the kingdoms. The northern kingdom fell first to the Assyrians. Then later, the southern kingdom fell to the Babylonians. 
They were in captivity in, in Babylon for 70 years. And when the children of Israel returned from captivity, they were like a child who had burned his hand on the stove. They were very, very careful not to break the command to Sabbath once again for fear of being sent back into exile. So their religious leaders, to safeguard their people from violating God's laws again, they began to stack other laws on top of God's laws to protect them from breaking this command. And some of you are like, well, that kind of makes sense. It's not a bad idea. They were just trying to be cautious. But here's the problem. Because of these stricter restrictions, the Sabbath is going to lose its original meaning and is going to become something that it was never meant to be. These laws built around God's laws really get out of hand to such an extent that there is an entire book of rabbinic teaching on what they were to do and not to do on the Sabbath day. In particular... The Pharisees were very, they were, they were real stipplers on, on this, very nitpicky when considering what they could do and could not do on the Sabbath. For example, let me give you an example, and this is important for our story today. They had one rule that if you were to reap, thresh, winnow, prepare grain with your hand in a larger amount than a dried fig, you had violated this command and you had broken the Sabbath. They were very particular about the observance of the Sabbath, and that really sets the stage for our first story today we're going to look at. One more thing before we begin. There are several views concerning the Sabbath and how the Sabbath is to be kept today. There are Seventh-day Sabbatarians. There are First-day Sabbatarians. There are also what I like to call uh, any day or no particular day Sabbatarians as well. Different views on keeping the Sabbath. We do not have time to go into all that today. That's another study all on its own. Uh, for those of you all who have been with us a while, I did a study through the Ten Commandments called the Big Ten in a quipping class in 2013, so I know you remember that, on, on the Sabbath. But what I've done for you today is I prov I've provided for you a position paper on uh, the Sabbath and how we're to view the Sabbath as Christians. You can take it with you today. If they run out, let me know and I'll send you another one. So uh, if you want some extra reading on that, feel free to uh, check that out. I'm going to be making some application today from this passage on the Sabbath to the time we spend here on the Lord's Day, but I am not saying that I believe that the Lord's Day has replaced the Sabbath, okay? So I'm not saying that, but there's great, there is great application to be made for when we gather on the Lord's Day, okay? So, so read that paper, the position paper, if you're interested in hearing more, and you can let me know what you think about it, okay? But I'm going to be making application today for what we do on Sunday because it does apply. Sunday is a time that we have set aside as God's people from work to spend time together in corporate worship. There are, are several things I want you to see in this passage of Scripture. Number one, I want you to see the point the Pharisees miss about the Sabbath. 
Number two, the example Jesus gives about the Sabbath. And number three, the authority Jesus has over the Sabbath. Point number one, the point the Pharisees miss about the Sabbath. There are two stories here that take place side by side that I believe Luke intends for us to look at together. They're meant to be viewed together. Normally, Luke, the historian, he gives us historical details about specific days he mentions in his gospel, but he doesn't do that here. Notice the phrase, on a Sabbath, and to start the second story, on another Sabbath. So I don't think these are like two weeks in a row, these, ha these things happen. Luke's just pulling them out as examples to make a point. While Jesus is ministering still in Galilee, but he's saying just on this Sabbath, oh, and on another Sabbath, and he's giving us these stories here to make the point that the Pharisees have missed the point on this observance of the Sabbath. So let's look at it beginning in verse 1 of chapter 6. This takes place, this story, on, uh, on the Sabbath in a field. Look at it, beginning verse 1. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do? on the Sabbath. So, Jesus and his disciples are traveling through a field on the Sabbath, and they decide to, they're hungry, they need some energy maybe for travel, so they pluck and winnow just in their hands some of the heads of grain to eat. Now, it's important for you to know they are not stealing, okay? If they were, that'd be something else to consider. They're, they're not, and they're not being accused of stealing here. We're told in Deuteronomy 23, 24 through 25, look at it up on the screen. If you go into your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill of grapes, as many as you wish, but you shall not put any in your bag. If you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hands, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. So the principle is this. You can graze, you just can't gather. Okay? That's the rule. You can graze, you can't gather. So they're not stealing here. That's not what they're being accused of. They are being accused of violating the Sabbath. Now, now it's, interesting, it's interesting here that they're spotted. I, I kind of picture this Pharisee like hiding behind some grain and sticking his head out when they, when they violate this. I mean, they're being set up, right? There, there's something shady going on here. They, they got spies tailing Jesus and his Disciples, We're told in verse 2. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Now notice Jesus' response. He says, Have you not read? Now that is a stinging statement against the Pharisees. Experts in the law, of course they had read. Jesus says, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those with him. So Jesus quotes these Bible scholars some Bible here. He makes mention of 1 Samuel 21, 
1 through 6. You have it in your scripture reading. In this passage, David and his men are on the run. He's not yet king, and he and his band of soldiers are starving. So he goes to Ahimelech at Nob and says, Do you have any food that we can eat? And the priest answered, No, he didn't, other than the showbread in the temple, which no one but priests are allowed to eat. And David said, But but me and my men are starving. So you know what the priest did? He gave David the bread, and David fed himself. Now, he's going to be king, right? But he also fed his men as well. Now, now get this. The ceremonial law said only the priests were allowed to eat that bread. But we learn here that for the Lord's chosen one and for his men as well, the Lord's anointed and his people, need, human need, goes before ritual law. You see that? There's a pecking order Jesus is giving us here. Look at what Ligon Duncan says on it. The ceremonial law that said that the showbread is only for the priest was trumped by the moral necessity of obeying the second great commandment, which is love your neighbor as yourself. Listen, if this was true of the Lord's anointed David before he was king and his army, how much more so is that true of the King of kings, the Lord of glory. He reminds them of this. Look at what he says in verse 5. And he said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now we'll visit that again in point number 3, but it needs to be said here that no one in Jesus' audience at this time would have questioned whether or not David was in the right in 1 Samuel 21. And Jesus makes the point here, if that is true for the soon-to-be King David, how much more so is that true of King Jesus? I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. But we see their view of Jesus here, right, compared to King David. His point here is, while keeping the Sabbath is commanded by God, it was meant to be a blessing and not a burden. A glorious observance that assists God's people rather than an annoying practice that hinders them. The, the Sabbath was not to result in God's people starving to death due to their commitment to cease from activity, but it was given to them as a day of rest from their labor and a time spent enjoying being in God's presence and worshiping Him with His people. The Pharisees had missed the point. They had become so meticulous in their keeping of the ceremonial law that they were neglecting the moral demands God had placed on his people. They were upside down and inside out on this, folks. Look at this by Warren Wiersbe in his commentary on Luke. By their strict and oppressive rules, next quote there, the Pharisees and scribes had turned the Sabbath day into a burden instead of a blessing God meant it to be. There are some great points of application to be made for us today, believers, concerning the Lord's Day. One, do you view this day as a burdensome obligation to meet or a blessed opportunity to worship and serve alongside God's people and do good. 
is gathering with God's people on the Lord's day, something you simply want to just mark off your, your, your spiritual checklist? Or is it something you, you long for and look forward to and don't want to end? Is gathering together in this place a blessing or is it a burden for you? Good application. I, I don't think I need to go into detail explaining to you which option is right here. I believe you, you, you know it. You know deep down this time is supposed to be special, a treasured time for God's people. This is the time when we are gathering with people we will stand alongside for all eternity. It's a time when, when we are to be redirected to what is right and true from God's word in a world filled with wickedness and deceit. This is the time when we, we hear from God and we allow for Him through the preaching of His Word, through His indwelling Spirit, to work in our hearts and lives, preparing us to live the life He has called for us to live in this fallen world in which we live. It is here where we get equipped to be the believer, the husband, wife, father, mother, son, daughter, brother, sister, friend, student, co-worker God has called for us. To be it is this place where we rub shoulders with other believers and sharpen one another and encourage and pray for one another so that we might grow alongside one another in godliness it's this place where we bring the lost and condemned so that they might be rescued you gotta love this place you should look at verses 6 through 11 Next story. Luke tells us this. On another Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him. I smell set up. To see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. Yes, it's a setup. Boy, they've really missed the point, haven't they? It's another Sabbath. Jesus encounters a great need in the form of a crippled man. And again, the Pharisees have added a law onto God's law on the Sabbath day that said that only in a life or death situation could one exert effort to save a life. This is not a life or death situation. This man with the withered hand, he can wait till Monday. It's the way they viewed it. They had no doubt heard about Jesus' healing ministry. All eyes are fixated on him to see what he might do. They're waiting for Jesus to put forth any effort at all to heal this man so that they could probably have him arrested. But notice, Jesus is already way ahead of them like he always is. Look at verse 8 again. But he knew their thoughts. Now, don't pass over that lightly. That's something significant. Who knows the thoughts of men other than God himself? He knew their thoughts because he's God the Son, right? And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, he's speaking to them now, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to destroy it. And after looking around at them, 
speaking to them, all he said to him, all he said to the man was, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury, of course. Sad, sad. And discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. They had completely missed the point. Jesus knew what they were wanting him to do. And while he does it, notice he does it in a way they can't do anything to him. With ease, he says, come here, reach out your hand. Jesus didn't put forth any effort at all to heal that man, did he? And it's odd what he asked him to do because this man, his hands either paralyzed, his muscles maybe had atrophied, we're not for sure, but he, but he asked him to do something strange, to, to reach out his hand that had, that had been paralyzed, and he did this, and he was healed. There's nothing they can do about it, and they're furious. They were enraged, filled with fury, began to discuss what they might do to Jesus. And these last lines are, are interesting when considering what Jesus said before healing the man. Look, look at it with me. Before healing the man's hand, we're told that, that Jesus said to the crowd, is it lawful to do uh, on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to destroy it? Jesus says, is it wrong to do good on the Sabbath? Now think about it for a moment. If the Sabbath was good then doing good on the Sabbath could not be wrong, right? It's very simple logic. If it was to benefit man to be a blessing and not a burden, then does it make sense to bless people on the Sabbath? They had completely missed it. Notice what the religious leaders are doing in both stories. They were hard at work trying to trap Jesus in order to accuse him and bring charges against him. They were wanting to trap and arrest, possibly even put him to death at that time, the Lord of glory. While Jesus' words support his actions, he's doing good on the Sabbath, his words condemn them because they're doing wicked. They were hard at work on the Sabbath trying to harm, come against, destroy the one whom God sent to save. Jesus is giving life and they are the destroyers of life. They had completely missed the point. I pray we would not when it comes to the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. To help us not miss the point, Notice point number two, the example Jesus gives about the Sabbath. Jesus provides for us a great example of what this day was supposed to be. We're told in verse 6, As custom for Jesus, on another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. Boy, Jesus did not miss the point, did he? He didn't miss the point of this day. He wasn't trying to meet the letter of the law in his observance of the Sabbath. They had become cold and, and calloused, empty religious practices for the religious leaders, but not for Jesus. He valued this time. He spent this time in God's presence corporately with the people of God, and he didn't waste opportunities he had with them. He taught them from God's word. Listen. When God's people gather together for public worship, the word better be preached. Jesus understood this, and he wanted us to get it as well. When you gather together for Bible study, the Bible needs to be taught, right? The Bible needs to be studied. Go figure. 
Don't waste opportunities with God's people. We're not simply to gather together on, on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights, Wednesday nights and Tuesday mornings and Tuesday afternoons and whenever else we meet just because that's what the church does, just because it feels churchy to do. No, we need a better answer than that. When we gather together, the Word of God is to be studied and taught and proclaimed and applied. Don't waste those opportunities. Jesus didn't. Also, when God's people gather, they should be prayed for and ministered to. When needs arise, God's people are to take this time, the time when we have gathered to pray for one another and to love and serve one another. Now, there should be order in the way we do things. We don't just have people popping up, hey, I need this, I need that. You know, during the time of preaching or, or during the teaching time in Bible study, we got to value that time, right? That's an important time as well. And so there needs to be uh, order. Don't interrupt the word being preached. That's vital. But this should be a place and this should be a time when people are, are prayed for and when they're encouraged and where needs are, are met. Jesus does that here. He gives us that example with the man with the withered hand, doesn't he? He does. He gives us that example. It should floor us to think that this angered the religious leaders in this day. Their, their thinking was, hey, today's not the day for that, Jesus. Today's not the day for healing. Today's not the day to do good. Today is the day when we do nothing. Today is the day when we meet the letter of the law. Today is the day when we cease from all activity. Crazy. Crazy. Jesus' mentality was, if there was ever a time for ministry to happen, it's now. On days like today, when God's people are gathered, Jesus showed them it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. He also showed them the other side of the coin as well. While it's lawful on the Sabbath to do good, it's unlawful to do evil. Again, think about what they were scheming, what they were working on. They were scheming against God the Son in the synagogue on the Sabbath. Long to do him harm and not good. God's man, his Messiah, the one he had sent. They were filled with hate in their hearts. They longed to be rid of Jesus. They tried to toss him off a cliff on the Sabbath in Nazareth, in his hometown. Here's the point. When thinking about the Lord's Day and, and other times when God's people are gathered, while there needs to be good done when God's people meet, the opposite is also true. While we, we don't like to admit this, there have been some terrible things that have happened during corporate gatherings like this one. People enter into places like this each and every week with hate in their heart toward their fellow believers. And instead of prayer and encouragement and service, there is slander and gossip and opposition and envy and disgust and hostility. May that not be characteristic of us, church. This is to be a time of spiritual edification, the building up of the body through the preaching and teaching of the word, through intercessory prayer, through loving encouragement, and through selfless service. Last point. While the Pharisees missed the point of the Sabbath, Jesus gives a great example about the Sabbath. And third and finally, 
reveals he's Lord of the Sabbath. That's our third and final point. Notice the authority Jesus has over the Sabbath. Look back at Luke 6, 5. After being accused of violating the, the Sabbath by grazing in a wheat field with his disciples, Jesus supports his actions again by telling of, of David eating and feeding his men with the showbread in the temple. He knew their respect for King David. Then he establishes his superior authority, saying the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now notice that, that title, Son of Man. Second time Luke uses this title, we saw it for the first time in Luke 5, 24, commonly used by Jesus. Jesus is really saying something here when he refers to himself as the Son of Man. It's used of Jesus 25 times in the Gospel of Luke and 81 times in all four Gospels combined. It's taken from Daniel chapter 7, where Daniel is speaking of the Ancient of Days, sitting on his throne, that is God the Father, and he mentions the Son of Man who is in his presence in the presence of the Ancient of Days, whom the Ancient of Days gives dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom shall not be destroyed. Boy, that's a big time title, isn't it? We sort of pass over Son of Man, but that's what he's referring to himself as there in Daniel 7. All of this was bestowed on the Son of Man. And here, when Jesus is being questioned about his keeping of the Sabbath, he defends his actions by referring to himself as the Son of Man. He says the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And while we're not given their reaction here, I'm sure their, their jaws hit the floor. Listen, to be Lord of the Sabbath meant to be over the Sabbath, right? And to be over the Sabbath, one must have established the Sabbath. And who established the Sabbath? The Lord, God, he's claiming to be God here. He's saying, I am Lord of the Sabbath. And in verse 10, he shows that he is. So he states the fact that he's Lord of the Sabbath in chapter 6, verse 5. And then he demonstrates that he is in Luke 6, verse 10. Look at this quote. Robert Stein, in his commentary on Luke, says this. Jesus is healing on the Sabbath is evidence that he is indeed Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is saying here, I'm over this thing. I started this thing. Instead of coming to Jesus and saying, hey, Jesus, let us tell you how this Sabbath thing is supposed to go. He's Lord of the Sabbath. He should have fallen at his feet and said, please teach us. Please correct us. Tell us how this thing is supposed to go. The Sabbath day was to be done the Lord's way, right? Same is true for us here. You know what? We have a lot of people trying to do the Lord's day their own way, don't we? We have that. Who's the head of the church? Christ. Who's the Lord of the Lord's day? The head of the church. Instead of doing the Lord's day our own way, we're to do the Lord's day the Lord's way, amen? Who, who cares 
what I think or what you think about what this church should be and how it should function. Our concern should be what the Lord has said from His Word. I want this body to be what its head, Jesus Christ, calls for us to be, don't you? He's the head of the church. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the head of the church. He's the Lord of the Lord's day. So let's do the Lord's day the Lord's way. Let's end by doing that today. Jesus makes it clear in Luke 19.10 that he came to seek and save the lost. It would not be an appropriate end if I send you away from this place without telling you that the man who was sent to heal withered hands came to restore wayward lives and transform hardened hearts. The way he did it was by becoming one of us, living the perfect life for us, dying as our perfect substitute, sacrifice, rising again on the third day, providing all those who trust in him alone for salvation, a way to be forgiven of sin and restored to a right relationship with the living God through him. Have you forsaken your sin? Are you trusting in Christ alone for your salvation? If not, no better time than right now. I urge you today, repent of your sin, place your faith in Christ, and be saved. Let's pray together.